Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the AGCS Podcast. I'm Ken Reichman. On February 5th, 2019, President Donald Trump gave the State of the Union Address in front of the 116th U.S. Congress. Traditionally in the United States, the State of the Union Address is delivered by the President to a joint session of Congress at the beginning of each calendar year in office. The message typically sets the legislative agenda and the national priorities for the upcoming year. The speech followed a tumultuous 35-day government shutdown, the longest in U.S. history. We're bringing back a popular podcast guest to discuss some of the major points from the speech and what they might mean for global industry moving forward. Peter Lefkin is the Senior Vice President of Government and External Affairs, and he joins us now live from Washington, D.C. Peter, thanks for coming back on the show. We really appreciate you taking the time out again. Well, thank you. It's good being here. Actually, it's uh, been three months since the last election. It seems a lot longer, but um, generally life in Washington, D.C. seems more protracted than in the past. So we want to touch a little bit on the State of the Union. I want to start off by saying in the new Allianz Risk Barometer, changes in legislation and regulation was listed as top business risk, coming in at number four with 27% of responses and up from fifth place last year. So with the divided Congress, how can global businesses best mitigate against policies such as protectionist tariffs and trade wars that are only marginally supported in Washington, D.C.? Well, it's going to be difficult. Uh, and I have to sort of say there is no predictability, and that's probably what's made Washington, D.C. different than the Washington, D.C. that previously existed, where we sort of knew what pattern they were going to take. Uh, you have sort of uh, watching sort of trade policy sort of being made up as it goes along. Um, it's being influenced heavily by political considerations. All those things existed in the past, but much more so now. And the abruptness of movement makes it very difficult to predict. Tell me a little bit about what you believe are the biggest threats to multinational businesses in such a divisive atmosphere that we're seeing, not only in the United States with the split chamber of Congress, but across the seas with Brexit and stuff like that. Well, I, and what I'm seeing is sort of a broke up. We, we, we lived in a very golden period of time between 1990 and let's just say 2010. Uh, globalization was making its way, humongous increases in foreign investments, humongous increase in foreign trade. And this was sort of brought about by a number of technological reasons, uh, one of which, of course, is the rapid reduction in the cost of shipping, the other one, the rapid reductions in the cost of telecommunications, and the free flow of banking assets to less developed nations where they perceive they could get better rates of return. Since 2010, this has dramatically slowed down. In fact, many people, one economist has called what we're going through right now globalization rather than globalization. Would you maybe say that globalism as we've known it is dead? Oh, it's certainly not dead. I mean, you have large numbers of people, of course, who are moving across the globe seeking out new opportunities or responding to humanitarian and economic crises in their home nations. Uh, you still see a large amount of flow of capital coming back and forth among nations and so forth. And you're also sort of seeing, of course, is a interconnected supply chain. Uh, what uh, you're sort of seeing is that the trajectory that we sort of took for granted, that this is going to be the new normal that existed between 1990 and 2010, that eventually everything would be uh, on a multinational basis. Uh, everything would continue flowing at these remarkable rates of growth that we have never, we have really not seen since the last century, early in the, or I should say the early 1900s. You sort of thought that was going to just sort of be constant. It's no longer the case. It's stagnant. 
Even the Chinese have lost some of their enthusiasm for foreign investment and foreign investment from China to both the United States and to Europe on declined significantly in the last couple of years. What about the areas that President Donald Trump touched on during his State of the Union being NAFTA or doing business across the globe for for the United States? Did any of that ring uh, extra important to you during that speech? Well, I think the NAFTA one does ring important because it's a uh, that is our critical marketplace. Uh, you cannot purchase a car that is entirely made in the United States. You can purchase a car that is, frankly, made in North uh, North America uh, because the components from Canada and the United States and Mexico are all very much interleaked. And NAFTA, because it's so compelling, the, the economies are so connected and our common histories are so wrapped up with each other, uh, that is one area where I think the president is going to be successful in sort of securing an agreement. It's going to secure an agreement because it has to take place. All sides lose should an agreement not um, not happen. Tell me a little bit about what you think that agreement might look like. What kind of effect do you think that agreement might have on the global insurance industry as we know? I think uh, the uh, U.S. MCA agreement, frankly, would not really be would not be all that significant. It's basically a level of improvements and modernization to the current NAFTA agreement, uh, which was adopted 25 years ago um, in a period of time of where the internet did not exist, at least as we know it and that certain investment protection provisions uh, were inserted that were relatively new, and they all sort of need some fine-tuning. USMCA, I view it as sort of a fine-tuning mechanism. Uh, uh, frankly, I think it probably could have been adopted without all of the drama, but nonetheless, it will be adopted, and it was agreed to. Um, and we will sort of see life as we know it will continue. Agricultural produce will cross uh, borders. Uh, components will cross borders, and there'll be a fine-tuning on such things as sort of investment protection mechanisms. And President Trump was successful in securing an element of the agreement that would sort of try to raise the, uh, the basically the labor costs in Mexico, specifically for union-run factories. Um, I don't know exactly how that's going to operate, but I suspect it will have a little bit of uh, effect there, although Anytime you're dealing with things like that that are fungible, including, of course, wages, you don't know whether it's going to result in less business in the United States or more business. Sometimes when you do things like that, it makes it more, you know, you end up basically moving more production outside of the United States rather than inside the United States, which was in, uh, he intended to do. Other than tariffs, Peter, what are some other obstacles that exist in global trade? Uh, there are a whole host of emerging ones and uh, which are existing, and they're manifesting itself much more regularly now than perhaps did a decade ago. Uh, right now, the tech industry constitutes about 20% of the global stock market, and you've got a lot, variety of rules on privacy and data and, and, and espionage. Uh, which vary across countries and are splintering sort of the global economy. Many countries are adopting these various rules and regulations for a number of probably good but serious purposes in terms of protecting, um, protecting consumers and ensuring greater confidentiality. But nonetheless, it's working as one more barrier against international trade. Uh, you're also sort of seeing the emergence of tax systems, being changed in order to bend to sort of patriotic whims. Uh, the U.S. itself 
And last year's tax measure gave a significant incentive for foreign for U.S. multinationals to repatriate their money back to the United States. And you've also sort of seen trade sanctions in terms of also investigations uh, that might also be reducing the number of acquisitions between and among nations. Both the EU and the United States and undoubtedly other nations have created a number of measures to review investments in the United States, review investments in Europe, to ensure that they are not basically operating either indiscriminatorily or alternatively not using or working to the detriment of national military and economic security. Um, even simple matters like accounting um, regulations and antitrust application or trust laws are fragmenting trade. Um, probably should not have been unexpected, but the ferocity by which it has emerged um, is a little bit surprising. What you thought were the most intriguing parts uh, of the State of the Union that pertain to global industry? I think the most important portion was this. It was an effort by um, President Trump uh, to sort of articulate the fact that you know, the United Nations is, is standing firm on its traditional ideals, uh, that it seeks to be remain a global power uh, and with responsibilities that go outside of the United States. And I, that was one element where I felt uh, there might be some assurances made. The president has done a remarkably good job over the last several years of basically exciting his political base. That base is about 35 percent of the U.S. Uh, voting public. Um, and, uh, of course, you need about high 40s or 50 to win. And what he tried to do in that speech was try to reach out to other people who, have, who dislike what he's been doing or certainly dislike his governing style. Not all of them, but enough of them. These are people who, frankly, you know, he has an opportunity to win back who might be currently discontent, but have a general acquiescence to what he's trying to do, but might wish he would do it in a different way. That was the nature of the base, and he sort of did a call out to sort of the traditional things that any president, particularly any president, Republican president, would ask. Let's go back to civility. Let's work together. Let's work in the common interests of the country, and let's identify a whole bunch of hotline issues where we all could agree um, something should be done, whether that's uh, research on childhood cancer, uh, a uh, combating AIDS and other things that are very, very important, um, and one where I think you could find an overwhelming societal consensus. Obviously, plenty of cogs moving when it comes to global politics and industry, and to have someone like Peter able to break it down for us is really special. So a big thanks to him for joining the show. We're always interested in hearing your feedback, so if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future podcast episodes, just let us know by shooting us an email to agcscommunication at agcs.allianz.com. And don't forget, you can get more expert analysis and insight by following us on Twitter at AGCS underscore insurance and on LinkedIn at Allianz Global Corporate and Specialty. And don't forget also to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. The more folks who rate and review, the easier it is for others to find the show. Again, a big thanks to Peter for taking the time to join. And for all of us here at AGCS, I'm Ken Reichman, and we will see you next time.